All right. Welcome again, Marsha. I had to hit record because you were starting to spout all sorts of brilliance and I wanted to uh, capture it. And um, so I'm just going to let you go with where what you started to say. So we're talking just a few hours after a Libra full moon, the sun in, Lib- a sun in Aries moon in Libra my son is in Libra. Your son is in Aries. So I guess it's not surprising that something I have really been, um, it's been arising in me for quite a while now. Uh, it feels very big for me, like a big revelation. But, um, and, and it is, it has to do with what we bring to what we see. You know, astrology can be, um, if we bring to it the level of perception, the depth of perception in an out of that we have been taught to cultivate in a completely out of balance culture, we can bring such a shallow level of awareness to astrology that it becomes basically meaningless. You know, it's just a framework. And if we see it with the shallow understanding that our culture encourages us to stay stuck in, we, it will be like an entertainment, very trivial, interesting, but you know, it's just a device. But if we can use it, as a practice, a framework to return to with the questions like, what else could be true? What's another way to see this? What's really going on here? I mean, you know, I've been um, looking at charts for over four decades. This, to me, does not speak of brilliance, but of perhaps of tenacity, like I'm a slow learner, but I I can eventually learn something. Because this morning I'm thinking, you know, Libra and Aries are opposite energies in one way, but in another way, they're very similar. Astrologically, air and fire are both yang energy outwardly focused. So when we realign Libra and Aries, that's a yang realignment. It's not an alignment of yin and yang. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Well, and I think, you know, astrology for me has been so valuable in terms of helping with pattern recognition. And you know, all of the astrology stories aside, I have repeated or started to repeat some patterns from my family history that if I didn't know those stories would not have had the awareness that like something bigger was happening here, that my DNA was tagged with some behavior that I had the opportunity to repattern and didn't have to get stuck in this groove or to have at least some compassion for when I was little, you know, and like, for example, when I was uh, leaving notes and starting to run away from home at the same age, my dad was when he was in an orphanage and trying to run away from the orphanage, you know, that we, you know, and those kinds of patterns, are so potent astrologically, I think, both individual and at the collective level. And there's an interplay between the pattern, which is yang, it's at the surface, it's what we're doing over and over again, right? I mean, so there's a kind of a creative interplay between pattern and what the pattern holes, you know, Mm, like mm -hmm. awareness or feeling. And the pattern, 
lets us stay with it, but not we're not always conscious. That's you know we we don't realize what we're doing, what the container is for. So that's the yin and the yang, right? Like everything is that. If we strip, boil everything down, you know, take away the charge, take away the meaning, take away the, you know, I mean, that the most fundamental level, everything is energy, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. energy not only moving at different frequencies or patterns, but in like, seems to me like the fundamental difference in yin and yang, it is, is, it's not a, it's a, it's like a quality, not a pattern. Mm. So, so, so pattern or container and content is like a yin yang flow. I mean, everything is energy, the, this, or at least, you know, that's one very ancient way of seeing things that really resonates with me that I've found kind of revelatory. So if we look at, um, so sometimes we can change the pattern and that changes dramatically enough what we're holding that it can bring a whole brain shift. You know, we become aware of what we're holding or we hold it so differently that it changes. But I also find the deeper patterns, we can change or the the deeper structures, just changing the pattern sometimes can take us deeper, can make us stuck more deeply, you know, because there's something we're not seeing or experiencing. I don't know if you have come across that in your work. And maybe that's what looking for the different ways is the search. I don't know if I if we've if I'm making sense. I don't know if I've gotten ahead of myself. Well I think it's kind of I do think that it's easy uh, that we like to be in we like to be stuck in our stories. It's very hard to change your story or, or and to think about shifting it into, um, you know, fundamentally we're all wired for what's familiar, not what's right for us. And so I do, and sometimes we're just more creative about how we keep ourselves stuck in that story versus... And can't what's right for us change as we oh, absolutely. Know, the world changes. So maybe we have a story around what was right for us once that is preventing us from seeing what's right for us now. But sometimes it's not that easy to find the new story or the new pattern that lets us hold our energy in a different way and express it. Absolutely. And when I think about, uh, and I haven't said this out loud really fluidly yet, so we'll see how it <laughs> how it comes out. But when I think about brain, parts of the brain that I would associate with Aries and Libra that are uh, our cingulate gyrus, our cingulate cortex, which is involved in like initiation and action and Aries kind of things is, uh, and and then like, I, I think the Libra, like the kidney equivalent, you know, in astrology, Libra rules the kidneys, but I think that kidney equivalent of our brain is our amygdala, which they sit in our brain very much like little kidneys and, you know, and they're associated with fear in the same way, like Chinese medicine associates your kidneys with fear. And that interplay between initiating something different and doing what's safe for you and stepping into something, um, you know, and I think amygdala get a bad rap for being all fear. You know, like I think that like, like they're associated with other good functions like memory consolidation and different things that are, um, you know, I don't think that like, I think we some, you know, like we get like in the way we story things, like we give, you know, parts of our bodies and parts of our brain and parts of our lives 
a bad rap sometimes, you know, that like you need that, like it serves an important function in terms of keeping balance and too much change too quickly can be really hard, even if it's in a positive direction. So the other reason I really love astrology as a way, a framework for understanding who we are, what's calling us, you know, uh, to evolve is that when we go all the way back, you know, to the roots of it, we're really talking about something that is, we're talking about our relationship with the cosmos, right? And so that's not cultural. That is before culture. So if we look at Aries and Libra in the cosmic sense, And in the West, the astrology of the West is Earth-based. It's based on how we here on Earth experience our relationship with the sun, with the planets, with the stars, with everything. And so Aries and Libra bring us to two turning points, two of the four major turning points in our Earth's relationship with the rest of the universe, but with our sun and the universe, you know, in particular. Because at the moment when the sun goes into Aries or Libra, it's an equinox. Those are the only two moments in the whole year when our Earth, and we're part of her, when we are experiencing We may not, you know, we may have a very, very superficial conscious awareness of it, but our total being is experiencing only those two times of moments of the year, the light force and the dark force, the day force and the night force, the yang force and the yin force. We experience them as equal in power. And I like to think about that because it takes us out of all the cultural stereotypes, all the cultural overlay that is, you know, and it takes us to what what is really happening in Aries and Libra and 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 what does it mean to carry one of those fields of energy in in our own field. Um, We think of Aries and Libra as being so different, but they are also very much alike. And so if we think about the amygdala, and so what is happening at the equinox? We're, We're halfway between the longest day and the longest night, between maximum power of light and maximum power of darkness. But at each equinox, we're either moving towards the light or we're moving towards the darkness of the great mystery. And that's what we're doing in Libra, which is why I've come to think of Libra as it's about meeting the mystery of another person, of the whole universe, of our own selves, beyond our story. To me, everything else that we could say about Libra is, it's, it's biased. It, it's full of baggage. The baggage of, you know, Western culture, basically. Now, I'm not saying what I just said isn't doesn't have baggage either, but it's more getting closer to a, a root perception that something happens in these two signs. And then last night, as well, if we think about Aries, so we're now in the period where we're leaning more towards that one star that keeps us alive. So in a way, they're both about relationship. 
So is there, like, do you have an example from your life about that Aries-Libra interplay or how you're seeing it show up in charts that you're reading right now? Um, well, I do think since I have four planets in Libra, I have, I'm searching for a word to use instead of suffered, but I have experienced, I think it has been more harmful to me to buy into the cultural myth that not only should we be making things happen, but even that we actually are the ones who make things happen. You know, I mean, that harms all of us, but I think it harms the Aries and the Libras the most because that's just not how anything works, you know? So we're kind of set up to think there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with everybody else. And I, I have really, yes, that's been a core um, challenge for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and our charts mirror each other. So, you know, I've got uh, uh, four planets in Aries. And so it starts to, but I do identify to that, that the, like in, for my life, that people, like I can certainly, I have power over how I experience my life. But I feel like the events of my life are almost very precisely orchestrated in a way that I um, that I don't have as much right. Right. control over, you know, but I can choose whether I perceive them as a gift or an obstacle or a puzzle, an opportunity or, or you yeah. know, right. A puzzle or whatever, yeah, I can choose how i how I interpret all of that, but that the you know, and I've certainly worn myself down on vision boards and different manifesting strategies and whatnot, thinking that <laughs> I'm actually right. doing something, and I finally just sort of let it like like I had to let it all go, and I think that that just like you know Libra is such a you know, is a heavy thing because it's so tied to justice. And justice is a big word right now in a lot of, you know, that there's social justice and, um, you know, there's big court proceedings in the media and there's, you know, there's a lot of that, yes, like the, like right. our definitions of that are very well, well-worn grooves. <laughs> right. And everybody feels very strongly about it however they define it. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that people, I think everyone shares about justice is, is the passion, you know, like justice is a quality we really elevate, even though we all understand it in completely different ways. So I find, and, and I'm going to honestly say, I find justice a very, it's a puzzle, it's kind of a contradiction. It's a paradox. I don't know what I think about justice. I mean, part of me is tempted to just say it's not a useful concept anymore. Um, but what I think is I can wrap my mind around, and this isn't speaking to any of the ways justice is coming up. Maybe it is, though, actually. But I think a lot about balance, you know, where are things out of balance? Where do they need to be rebalanced? And as a Libra, I feel like I am often, very, very often having to rebalance the equation. So I'm in it equally with all the people that I care about or that I, I'm in, in the balance to an equal degree. And I don't know if that's something as an Aries that you experience. Sometimes these imbalances can work in really subtle ways, and we're not even aware of how they're operating, you know, in us. Yeah, well, and I think balance, you know, I will say as a, uh, well, I think most people's idea of balance, like this is where I 
struggle with the world word balance. Um, like most people's idea of it is a pretty static state. Yes. And right. it's not. Exactly. No, it's very dynamic. It, it's a very dynamic state. And that it's this almost like this, like I feel like maybe reciprocity is a better word sometimes than balance. Or I yeah. identify a little bit more right. with that. That like I get, you know, that I give to the world or I give to the earth and the earth gives back to me. And that I have this reciprocal relationship with the cosmos that we're doing this um you know we're doing this balance thing or this yin yang thing or this or whatever this is you know balancing the equation but it feels a little bit more like um or I know the rest <coughs> excuse me the uh you know like the native americans had a very strong principle of uh, at least the ones around the great lakes principle of reciprocity you know with which they lived and so um yeah that's it's so flow of energy mm -hmm. the i mean i think all our words have because they you know they define something that there's something that's always they're leaving out and the the thing the challenge i have with reciprocity or let me say it a different way let me think of it a different way the thing i think reciprocity calls us to be mindful of is it's very connected. I mean, it's easy to go from reciprocity to think like, well, I did this for you and what are you doing for me? Yes. So it's a contract and energy isn't contractual. Sometimes things can be come back into reciprocity or come back into balance. If at the moment, one side is doing more than the other side, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, it's like being on a seesaw, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think of it much more as orbital just because of how so many things mimic the cosmos, that there's, you know, that it's not... Yeah, right. Cyclical. That it's yeah. more cyclical and that it isn't... Right. And it is, like, and sometimes you don't get, give or get back in the way that you expect, you know, that it's not, that you know, that we project a lot of expectations around that and that the gift may come wrapped in a different package than what you imagined. Right. And there's also somewhere in there an idea of control. You know? Yeah. That so we're at this interesting moment, no matter what we're doing, but if we're using astrology, we're working with a tool and let's just, you know, I mean, so I'm talking about the astrology of the West, but all the astrologies of the cultures that had written language early and I'm not sure if that's even the right way to define, but I know like the Indo-European cultures, they share common root experiences. And so all of them, the astrologies, Vedic, um, Western, Egyptian, they all share, there's overlap at the root but then they go in different directions. So in the astrology, so I think we, if we look deep enough, I just don't know enough about Egyptian and Vedic astrology to have an understanding. I'm just learning, and it's fascinating, about the parallel energy structures that are held in different patterns by different gods, like um, Jupiter and Vishnu, or... Um, Shiva and Dionysus. Um, so, which is is really interesting to think about. But let's focus on the astrology of the West because that's really what I know about. It's um, it arose at a very critical shift point in human culture. Not immediately as, but it, we were still very early in a whole new, more hierarchical, more um, yang-dominated 
way of living in the cultures of the Mediterranean than had ever been true before. So it was like the seed of this world that we're living in now. And so that seed, it both carries all the assumptions of that, that we're now really struggling to get free of. If we want to continue to survive assumptions about domination of nature, of emotions, of difference, you know, the hierarchy, the control, all of that has life on our planet now by a stranglehold. So astrology, and in this way, I don't think it's different really from any discipline. And because we are, we are, we're all in the West now, everybody on the planet. So we can't really, I mean, it can be useful, but it's not a solution to say, well, I'm just ditching this Western way of thinking and I'm going to take up this other system because our, our neurological systems are shaped, you know, everything in our being is shaped by the Western way of thinking. So if we're going to change the world, we have to start, but we have to change ourselves. Because if we only try and make some big changes, pass some laws, make everybody do something, and we haven't changed ourselves, it's just a matter of time. There's gonna, you know, it'll backfire. It won't work. We have to change the consciousness, which is what I was kind of getting to at the beginning about the difference between we can make important shifts by changing the pattern. But the change itself has to go deeper than the pattern, you know, the behavior that it has to do with the way we see who am I and who are you and what is, you know, the sky that's around me and how is it all connected? And astrology can either help us do that or it can be one more thing that makes it really hard for us to do that. But I think probably the most useful thing is embracing both of it. Like what's hard for us may be what we have the most to learn from. You know, we're at a moment no humans have really ever been in before of having to become aware of how we're seeing things in a way that's not helpful. And it's not, it didn't start with us. And it didn't start with our parents. And it didn't start with their parents. It started thousands of years ago. Which is why, in a way, I believe, this is very Libra-like, and of course, everything exists in the yin and the yang. You know, they have to be dancing together or nothing can exist. But on one level, there is a truth that all the patterns of seeing that we all share are more important than the ones that are unique to me or unique to you. Because the ones we have to change, same with our ancestral wounds. We don't have to go back that far. And my ancestors and yours are the same person. I mean, every person on earth, we all go back to one mother, the mitochondrial Eve. So in a way, the ancestral wounds that are common to all of us, those are, if we're not looking at those, if we're not looking, you know, then we're not going to get very far. We're going to stay stuck in this dominator consciousness. Yeah. Well, in that, um, you know, certainly... In the in the way the Greco-Roman mythos, uh, I mean, our governments are modeled after it now, and all that you know, like that. It's I mean, it's so pervasive that I don't think we even realize how deep that consciousness runs through us, and the in a very you know, maybe another way to think about Libra and the and the value that it brings and maybe what justice really could be 
is that, you know, fundamentally our nervous systems are always seeking contrast and we call high contrast trauma, but your nervous system will not let you live a dull story. Like you would not go to a movie that did not have contrast in it. You wouldn't love a book that didn't have enough contrast in it. And so we're always like, we're really driven for this contrast, you know, and I wonder like, could we enjoy contrast in other ways so that we don't have to go after this huge trauma type contrast with our nervous systems to get us to wake. Um, I don't even really want to say wake up, but you know, but to develop our awareness, how can we enjoy contrast in other ways that satisfies our nervous systems, you know, and still satisfies the astrology so that it's not, you know, so the universe isn't always like whacking you upside the head with a two by four to, to learn your lessons, which we've all had at different points. So I think of, when I think of the most blissful experiences and the most traumatic experiences of my life, I, I have to say they're not, they're, they're very close to each other. Oh, I completely agree with you. I could, I could echo that. And so, and you know, this is certainly not an idea that I came up with. There have been several books that have been written about this by men that the reason that we have war is because it's one of the few ways in our world that you can be totally present not in some part of your mind be thinking, when is this going to end? Or when I'm bored now? Or what is the point? You know, you're fully present in war. It is, yes, when you come back, you can't, you know, figure out how to function. But there is a, that state, I experience this giving birth, you know, like on a dime, my experience is, get very close to the, you know, my daughter being, you know, getting very close to coming through, I was sure I was going to die. Like, I was like, this is not possible. This is not going to happen. And it felt like it was on a dime that I went from sheer agony to, I mean, I was just flooded in endorphins. It was full body, whole brain. I was drenched in bliss. And it that my memory of it is that it happened as I look, you know, they position the little mirror and it's the most mind-blowing thing in the world. Sure, I knew, you know, how, what was going to happen. But when you actually see a human head coming out of your own body, I mean, it just, it literally, I think it blew all my circuits and, and I was just, I was taken to a place beyond concepts or words. And it, it's still like, I've never, I mean, I've had other experiences, but not quite so that was, that was a, reality redefining moment for me. And I think maybe war can take people to that, to a a different and yet similar kind of edge. And trauma is one of the few ways that we have, you know, that's what Dionysus did in the ancient world. You went beyond the conceptual. You kind of let yourself it would be madness if you tried to live that way all the time. But people didn't live that way all the time, you know. But there was a way to experience this full body, whole brain ecstasy, which is right there also on the age of terror. And we know from some of the accounts of the Dionysian rites that sometimes people did go over the line. But they, that was how they held it. 
And we have all these traumatic ways that we hold it. So is that what you mean by contrast? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Well, I'll say for any, if I was going to design a set of Libra scales, I would probably have four platforms on it versus two. And because for all humans to experience change, we go through alertness, awareness, reward, and rest. And sometimes we get stuck in one of those cycles. Like we stop, you know, like we're not really moving through the cycle. We're like staying in alertness. So we're staying in anxiety and not gaining awareness of what's going on or we're stuck in awareness and not getting to reward or we're stuck in reward and never getting to rest. And, you know, if you were going to, I could, I could say alertness and reward are opposite each other and on that cycle and maybe uh, rest and awareness are opposite each other, but we're always looking for, um, you know, like, I mean, a, a nerve firing is a contrast of itself. Like you're getting a polarity change in the membrane. <clears throat> and so there's, you mean when the nerve fires, the polarity changes. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And so there's a or a positive elect well that elect that's just a different framework. Well, but it goes from a positive to a negative it's chart. there's a um there is a let's see, I guess the now, I, I should not have this more on the tip of my tongue than I do. There is a depolarization. I will say the value changes, maybe even if, um, but the membrane potential and the, um, you know, I'm trying, like, I'm not 100% sure whether it's accurate to say that it goes from negative to positive and positive to negative, but there is a, um, but like in a muscle, I believe it goes from like, it'll go from like negative 70 to like positive 30 to fire. Like, and you have to go above the threshold for it to, for the nerve to get for the for the nerve to fire, like there's not enough of a stimulus if you don't have enough you contrast. Have you have to cross the point of no return, yeah, or of no right that it's. You have to cross, and that's what Aries and Libra both do in different ways. It's that's those are the two spots in the zodiac, the two times in the year, the moments of equal balance, you know, and that's what happens. In the moment of, in the at the equinox, the Earth passes through. We all pass through that moment, so we go from the negative charge of winter to the positive charge of spring. But even at the moment we cross, it's not equal. You know, right? Winter has more of one kind of power, and but spring has more of a. It's very early in the spring in most places. Of course, this is Northern Hemisphere analogies, but it would be the reverse in the yeah. Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. And is that what every full moon is also doing? You know, the sun and the moon are exactly opposite each other, like a positive and a negative in a way. I mean, I'm just wondering because if we're in a fractal universe, which I believe we are, I mean, I've, I, and I know there are a lot, that's not the only belief that, you know, people who 
study the universe mm-hmm. scientifically. Uh, but it, it, but a lot of them do believe, you know, there's this fractal quality to the universe. We don't really know. I guess to say that is to look at the universe through a certain lens. But if it, but if we, but using that lens, then I think the path to wellness at all the levels, the path to creative vibrance, the personal and the collective levels, is to figure out how to hold a space that sees what happens when a neuron fires in our own being and what happens when the, at a full moon to see how they are the same, because then at the full moon, we're not just, we're spouting off a bunch of platitudes about, Oh, this is about relationship, but we're really seeing, Oh, this is a chance to receive new information about my own aliveness. Absolutely. I mean, I think those, well, the sun is associated with the thalamus and every nerve signal in and out of your brain goes through the thalamus. And what, like, is, what is the thalamus? <laughs> Where it points to it? Where oh, is, it's like, it's literally the center the of your brain. brain. It's in the brain. It's literally the, the oh, very, the very center. Center. Very center, just like the sun. And it is the relay station for everything. It doesn't differentiate in neurotheology terms. Like it doesn't, uh, it kind of is what creates our reality. Like we don't, like internal and external reality are not any different to the thalamus. So that's interesting because that sounds astrologically more like Mercury. The sun is not a relay station. The sun is like, you know, has this magnetic field that holds everything together. And the sun is actually creating new energy all the time by fusing together under tremendous pressure. And I think this is why we want this all the time. And this is kind of like what you were saying about the nervous system. But I, you know, so like for the sun... In every second, if the sun is not creating new energy, it's going to collapse. Mm-hmm. And the way it does it is it fuses together two different elements, hydrogen and helium, it, like in this huge furnace of intensity. But it must feel really good to the sun to do that. Because so, I mean, for millennia, people associate the sun with joy and bliss and ecstasy I mean, the sun really is kind of Dionysian, actually. It's more like Shiva than like Vishnu. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think that it's, you know, like everything, it's kind of there's that layered piece of because Mercury also rules the nervous system. So it's going to have a, you know, just because it's brain tissue, it's going to have a mercurial, some mercurial qualities to it. But in terms of, you know, I think that, you know, being the hub and like that creating under pressure is not an unfair archetypal description of it either. And, you know, and then... Of the thalamus? Of the thalamus, yeah. That there, and the moon then, you know, would be more associated with the water, like the content of like the water that's in all of our cells and that fills... Right. Yes, all definitely. Of us. And so when you're getting this kind of like electricity running through water, maybe is more of a full moon kind of uh, thing that it can be this, you know, that things get recharged or charged differently or that the the connectivity or that contrast of fire and water is higher you know, and all neurotransmitters will break down, like, uh, you know, the excess neurotransmitters all turn back into water. So when that's that, once that nerve is fired, oh, it all goes back into water. That is fascinating. And so I think that there's... It goes back into the water that is in the nerve fiber. Where is the water it goes back to? I would... Um, 
Well, part of that's going to be inside the cell in the cytoplasm that's the water. And some of that's going to be in the gap between nerve cells. So does that mean we literally use up the neurotransmitters? What we don't use gets recycled. It gets, yeah, turns back into water. That is so fascinating. So those are very sun, moon kind of, you know, so or like... Would that be like saying at a full moon, the awareness? Because, you know, like one of the things that full moons do is when we feel the pull of these two, I mean, really the only two celestial bodies that we, we couldn't be here on the earth without the moon to stabilize our orbit and regulate all the waters and without the sun to hold us in place in the solar system and to give us energy. And so when they're on opposite sides of the earth, we feel their pull, Those the polarity between them is showing us something. It's showing us, this is the astrological teaching about a, new, a full moon, showing us where we're ready to our lives are ready to go to a, ne- a new level as we realign whatever is coming up as a polarity for us. So what I'm, what I'm hearing and what you're saying or what I'm wondering is if, if there are revelations, things that the universe as we're connected to it is showing us at any full moon that we don't, we don't get it. We don't see it. We, does that just go back into the neurotransmitter, the potential? We just for hat for so like in a, when a neurotransmitter fires, we have a new something new happens, right? A new idea, right? New right. Word, we, well, you know. I think that it could be that it, um, that it has that it not just goes back into um you know like in the way that a full moon might be a letting go or like a releasing kind of thing that that build up of all the extra stuff starts to you know that it's this chance for everything to kind of uh yeah to have a different stimulus and to have you know and to like kind of clean house a little bit or like release those patterns that you've been holding onto in that way that those neurotransmitters that might be constantly stimulating a neurological loop have a chance to change in a way right. that that might be di- that they might not at a different time or that would be a very astrologically aligned series of events and would the in result be to circle back to the idea of trauma and bliss war and giving birth or making love or binge eating or all the things that we can do to be fully present is that what happens when the neuron fires there's like mm. every, something is used it's in and is what happens in these moments, I mean, I know the neurotransmitters are, even when we're in a moment of stuckness or boredom or uh, dissociation, right. they're still firing, but I'm just... I, I think that they can, you know, they certainly do help you be present, but I think they can also help you. I mean, I know they can also help you be not present. Right. And so I think it can go, you know, again, like it's an opportunity. There's a contrast in there that, you know, and about 10 neurotransmitters do something like 99% of all functions. So there's a core group of them. But... um 
So are you, you know, saying I, I think it's more how we cycle through them than how they live statically, like would be my right. you know, that it's like you're that you're you know, that you're kind of using, you know, that you're keeping the process moving. That is more important. The, and heightened experiences like ecstasy and war and things like that can keep you feeling like they're moving. They can, you know, like they give you high contrast. Right. You know, that you're fighting and you're resting and you're... Uh, you know, you're planning and you're winning or losing, you know. Right. And so we need to take it to the astrological model, just using the sun and moon. We need all the different phases in the cycle and we need to experience them in order to really be fully engaging yeah, now I could say that being present with the cycle is what being present is at some level. And really, like, in holding that contrast is really being present. That, like, you can be like, this is terrible and this is amazing at the same time. Like, that's a right. way to really be present. You know, that, like, right. when you can hold, or like, you know, in a very Jungian sense, like, the tension of the opposites is right. really being present. Yes. You know, and not throwing all the, I mean, obviously there's situations in which you would intervene and, you know, at different levels, but, you know, sometimes it's just being, you know, I think sometimes things just, I think the hardest things, you know, I've always said the hardest thing that you do as a parent is to let your child live out their own karmic journey and not try and intervene right. oh, totally true. <laughs> in it. So, so holding the tension of the opposites is a way of providing the contrast that the nervous system requires. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's, and I think that's very satisfying to the nervous system. Like even when it like it's, uh, and it's very expanding to your own awareness. Like it expands your own polarity, your own North and South Pole, your own resilience, your own capacity because, and even if you think about the, um, think about the orgasm, you're holding attention. It's like to the point where you think you can't hold it anymore. And then you're, it's a wave of bliss, you know? Absolutely. Kind of absolutely. And it's moving through the, you know, and I, my, you know, my experience of birth was very akin to that. Like, you know, that there's, you know, um, you know, that same orgasmic pattern just showed like, you know, exactly. it just presents it was, differently, but there's a similarity through that whole process. And and that's the full moon. Yeah. Process. Yeah. yeah. Well, and on that note, let's, uh, we will leave all of that deep thinking there. <laughs> we can certainly come back to these, uh, to these topics because that's, um, yeah, getting into the action potential of nerves and all of that is super exciting, you know, or like relative to the yeah. full moon. I don't think I've said that out loud before. So that was a good, um, uh, you know, there's, def there's definitely a lot of juiciness in there. So thank you again. And thank you to those of you who are listening and we will do this again soon.